0: You don't just go to the U.S. and start doing things by yourself, not knowing where to go or what to do. So you have to go through one accelerator. That's the best way. Okay, You do your, you can just not go to the U.S. and start doing things randomly because you're not waste your time. You're going to waste a lot of money. So you want one accelerator or one incubator that guides you through all the process. In the U.S. it's extremely, extremely, the price is too high. But in Canada, in Canada, they... I mean, initially, all these things they did for my company were free of charge. I mean, I didn't pay anything to these accelerators. They are non-profit in Canada. In the U.S. it was so expensive. <laughs>
1: Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, wherever you were in the world, watching live or listening to this recording. Welcome to Social Confos, a brand new edition. I'm here today with my co-host Diego. I'm Shaluk Van Sharanda and we're going to talk a lot about startups, tech, and of course, Latin America. Diego, what's up? Have you been practicing that? No, just just came in. I just came in happy today. I don't know why I came in happy today. So I'm in a good mood.
2: Yeah, that, that was a smooth opening, man. Smooth opening. I think you can take over again. Yeah. The weather is finally, you know, nicer this week. We got some sunshine, although it was cold this morning. I actually had to run back to my hotel to grab my jacket
1: because happy on crossing a bridge, like I was freezing. <laughs> We don't, we don't necessarily know the layered stuff, but I think we can get into that with our guests as well, but there's a layer of secrets for people that live in, old, in, in colder countries that we, as people from warm climates, aren't always accustomed to. So I, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah.
2: Speaking of warm climates, today, actually we have someone from originally from Honduras. And I think you can bring him up and he's actually a few floors above me right now in his room. It's Mario Escoto Damas. That's the full yes. name, right, Mario? That's Welcome correct.
0: To and thank you so much, uh, Guy, for, for the invitation to be here in your podcast. But, uh, so that's accurate. My name is Mario Escoto Damas.
2: Yeah. So, so for some context, uh, yeah, we're basically uh, both here in Portland, Oregon, the United States for the Wildlife Program, the Young Leaders of America's initiative. And yeah, it was actually Mario, I think, was it the first week or the second week? I told you someone joined in from the chat on YouTube. It was Mario also joining in like, Hey, well, let's, let's do the podcast. And here we are <laughs> a week also, later.
1: So I thought you were going to go into his name because it is Eskota Damas. And we want to know, is that something like, because some countries you have, you have both yeah. your parents' names. Or it stays. Or yeah, those so things. Similar my first name is well. Mario, and my two last name
0: is Coto Damas. Uh-huh. And so, in, in the U.S. or in Canada, normally they call me Mario Damas, just because it's like normal naming the people for only one of the last names. In Latin America, we normally use the full yeah. name. To it. So Escoto yes, your dad. and that, Damas is for my
2: mom.
1: Last. The is yeah.
2: Okay. So is that always the order the, you know, the, the first yeah. last name is from your
0: dad. And the second last name is from your mom. That's how it works in, in our countries. How about three names?
2: Yeah, we just use the, you know, the, the last yeah. name. So I only have one last name. So funny thing is I actually have two middle names and for a lot of the registration here, they actually use my second. L- middle name as my last name because they expected Spanish, <laughs> yeah. I think, from Latin America. So oftentimes uh, when we went to the medical center, it was my, it was registered to my second middle yeah, name yeah. instead of my last name.
1: If they did that with me, I would become Chinese. A lot of special characters. <laughs> so I, I. one of the things that I was curious about is you're from Honduras and I'm trying to figure out because we have like yeah, the Caribbean we consider the Caribbean. The funny thing about Suriname is we don't actually, we're not an island, but we're still part, considered part of the Caribbean. And Honduras is kind of middle America. But I feel like there is no, yeah, we're middle America. There's more like we are Latin America. So, so who is part of Latin America? Is it just the Spanish-speaking countries? All the Spanish-speaking countries? Exactly. Don't say Really? How, how can I phrase this?
0: amazed me about when I met Diego and other people here that are from Suriname because it wasn't on my radar to be honest a country that speaks Dutch in Latin America I mean that was really curious I wasn't like ready to understand that we had in Latin America a country named Suriname that speaks Dutch another country that it's near you that speaks French I mean because you know I've Latin America, we all speak Spanish, and Brazil, which is the largest country after Mexico, is, is the Portuguese. So, but uh, essentially, in, yeah. in, in, as we are considered the belly of America, because we are in the, in the center, Honduras is a small, tiny country in the middle of everything, you know? But normally, as, 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 as people, we tend to think about Latin America, like that a whole thing that we all speak Spanish and we don't realize that there are other languages, other cultures around there, but this was really interesting to meet Diego and know about your country and your culture.
1: Okay. So you knew about Brazil, of course, did you know about Guyana? I
0: I heard about it because of the football, Guyana and uh, you know, the, 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 the islands as well, but I wasn't like pretty sure where it was this country located, I thought it was like, or an island somewhere in the Pacific. But then I realized it is in South America. So yes, I was a little bit lost at the beginning.
2: Yeah. The, the other thing is like, although we are on the continent of, you know, South America, the continent of South America, we, we're kind of also grouped into the Caribbean and our, our passport is also, you know, part of the Caribbean community. So that that's the. The interesting thing I think about the our positioning, it's very yeah, yeah special for lack of a better word, but to pivot the, back to, I guess uh, the, the topic of today, talking about business uh, as Mario told me, so he's, he's running multiple companies. He can oh, tell yeah. us a, a bit about it himself. And it's, it's been a family thing for over 40 years now. So can you give us a, a brief breakdown on how those companies started and sure. uh, what you call uh, yeah, my
0: pleasure. My name, as I told you, is Mario Esqueto Damas, and I come from an entrepreneurial family. I am an entrepreneur, me, myself. I was born in the middle of my uh, family who has been in, in this entrepreneurial world since almost more than 45 years ago. So my parents started a, a business about manufacturing of conveyor belts and automation systems. And well, the company has been growing since then, and that has allowed us as an entrepreneurial family to open other businesses not related to the industry, but, for example, in real estate, uh, hotels, luxury vacations, uh, accommodations, and also uh, selling properties, uh, like uh, housing, apartments, etc and also IT and also supply chain uh, management company. So we have been growing as an entrepreneurial family that had a very humble beginnings, but my parents had the visions to, to, you know, uh, had some financial freedom at some point and offer us a better future. So I was lucky that my parents were very entrepreneurial and, and had this vision more than 40 years ago. And we have been in this transition now that uh, my, my parents are about to retire, but they don't want, they don't really want to retire. But we have been in this transition of, of the succession of, of, the, uh, of, the, of the businesses. So uh, I am now uh, leading the second generation of our family of company group. And one of the things that we have been developing and improving over the last few years is family protocol, which is exhaustive document and a manual that tells all the family members, how we should manage the success, the succession and how this has to be done in a correct manner. So yeah, we have been working hard so we can we can make this switch. So so uh,
2: when you mentioned the, the family plan, uh, everybody, so can, how big is the family? Like uh,
0: we yeah, are we are family. more what than do you mean. I I will say in the company directly, like thirty five people, that the family is much, much bigger. Yeah. But the the core Yeah, the the core (laughs) of the business, I mean, the administration and the financing and the core decisions are made by 10 people, which I am part of that, of those, of those people that made decisions within the company, you know, so my parents, my, my siblings and my sisters, and yeah, we are essentially a very productive team that are taking decisions of how we have to move forward with the businesses, and we have some external uh, people working in the company, not family members, because in the family, sometimes you can have uh, people that have talent and several skills, but sometimes you need to look uh, outside of your family for uh, talent too, so we do have a lot of employees that are not family related at all, but
1: So, so let's, let's put it into context because I got excited, very excited when Diego told me about today, because at the moment there's an oil and gas summit the Suriname or energy oil and gas summit going on in Suriname. And of course it's interesting because you would have interest with your family business to stand there to be, of course, delivering your products to some of these bigger companies. But also because we partnered together with all our family businesses to join together in one booth and it's kind of weird because most people know the businesses separately or know my business personally, and they come to the booth where I'm also in, and it's not a booth of our company, but it's a booth of a group with other companies that they're less familiar with. But the first company also comes from the early 80s, 40 plus years ago. So it's a very interesting story. I don't have yeah. a family quite as big. Absolutely. As you know. <laughs> uh, so so that's a lesson for me: pay more <laughs> children so that the family process goes bigger. But I do have I do have a question, a couple of questions, and the first is: what's the biggest benefit, but also the biggest downside from? Yeah, the that's
0: secondary? a job that is very wide because you know we are in the middle of. Uh, a transition where the decisions are still made the final decisions are still made, but by, by, by the old ones, okay. By, by the people that started the businesses. They're overlooking, oversee the entire operations, no matter, uh, no matter who I am. What I am currently leading, I am the director and advisor of our company in in, in Honduras. And I also, that's a different story, but I think it's related because I immigrated to Canada as an entrepreneur. It's a part of our strategy to grow our businesses in North America. So I eventually had the opportunity to immigrate to Canada and I'm growing our family business into North America. In Honduras, we already have like the biggest market share. But what I want to tell you is that being a second generation, it's a bit of challenging because you have to work along with, with, the, as with people that is shaped as in the old school. They have their own, own beliefs. They have their, their own, uh, how can I tell you? I mean, in regard of taking decisions and also uh, business styles, they have their own styles of, of managing people. They have their own styles of doing things. And we as young leaders or young people, we have different ways to, to, you know, using technology and, and blah, blah, blah. So we are more like technology driven and we tend to shortcut a lot of things that, um, uh, we, we think that are not appropriate and the old people, my parents, all my, uh, other family members that are taking decisions. they think that perhaps that's not the correct way. So it's a little bit challenging being like um, arguing who is right, who is not right. So it's also interesting to have both points of view about how we should manage the company, the old school and all the, how, how I can tell you the traditional way of managing a company. Or the innovative way, the millennial way, or the Generation X way, which is the new trend uh, as a spirit. So it's a little bit interesting being in the middle of everything, trying to convince others that my way of management is effective and their way of management might be like uh, a little bit exaggerated. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, and I believe that a, a friend of mine told me once, don't ever have a family business because that's going to make you crazy. <laughs> but I mean, we all love each other and we all enjoy our time at the company. Sometimes we bring business topics to the table while we are enjoying a weekend. Sometimes we don't leave the problems of the business at the business. We bring it to our homes. And the other way that we uh have been growing across the years. I mean, it's like a normal thing in our family. We tend to involve the business in all our, our, or like in, in parties, uh, when we have dinner, when we have lunch, then we are talking about what happened in the company, about the business, about what are we going to do? I mean, that's a crazy,
1: a crazy thing too, but that is. But that does have a set advantage, right? Because it means you, I mean, it has a disadvantage, but it also has a big advantage because yeah. when you talk about business and, and, and family, quality family time and private time, you work on your business business a lot more than if you don't have it. So it, it does give you a step it, ahead against your competitors. Yeah. A I bit.
0: mean, so, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's, you like, have to positive. positive uh, I mean, because what can I tell you that is, that what I have... That is my my reality and our reality as as a company operated a company. Sorry, uh, sorry, as a family operated company. So that is what I know how it works in my own environment. So I can I cannot tell you about uh, other companies that are not family operated. But I mean, I... I
2: I I have a question on that part. Yeah. So you you have the context of you know family operated, and. In this program, from what you told me, you're also in a big company now, like global company, and you've been in meetings and you had the same debate on old generation versus new generation, but that company isn't necessarily like family related. So what can you tell us about do- those observations or things that you've noticed if you compare it back to how your business is? Well, yeah, is in, uh, this, like in this program right. where we
0: are with Diego here in Portland, we have been placing several companies. I myself... I was placed in a big manufacturing company. They manufacture trucks. So they placed me in this company to learn more about how they take decisions, how a big corporation take decisions and how they administer the supply chain. I have been in several meetings within this company with the directors and they are taking decisions about, for example, last week it was about how should they keep doing their job remotely or in person so that was very interesting and i even had to make an inform about it because it happens that as the most of the company now is very young so they are turning everything the final decision was that everything was going to be remotely The work was going to be done remotely i mean the part of the supply chain purchase procurement that's going to be Remotely, but the old people were, I mean, the old directors in the company were like, know we want these people back. We have a beautiful building. Nobody is taking advantage of the beautiful offices. We want them back. <laughs> so, But there's no need to, get to, to make these people get back if they can't do their job
1: from online or, or, or you know. No, but this is interesting because a young, no, no, no. I, I had this, this similar discussion with, with, with one of the companies that uh, we run as a family, because the older generation will say like, listen, we're missing out because basically you rent out the space. So we're missing rent. We're missing, we have open spaces. People should come back to work. And like a newer style management is like, wait a minute, if there's an empty office, we can just rent it out to another company because our, our team members are are no longer coming in. So let's, uh, that part of the. That part of the building, let's just rent it out to another company if they want to rent it. Exactly. And then we have some extra income. So it's, it's a different, it's a different way of thinking. And, and this brings me, does bring me to a, a more maybe personal question in the sense of with the second generation being there and you being part of a big family, how big is the percentage of, of people, young people like yourself that study? go out and study and even maybe go study abroad and come back to be part of the family business and how big is the percentage of people who go and study abroad and decide you know what the family is big enough I don't have to come back to the family business and of course, the follow-up question is does it matter what they go and study, whether or not they come back all right. That's an interesting, interesting
0: question. And and that's looking in perspective, I can tell you that there are several things involved in into 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 this end. Because we have from from one side, as my parents as entrepreneurs, they were looking to involve us into the business. Somehow, oh they thought, How can I make my children to get interested into the business. How can we make that possible? Because I could end it being a pilot or being a medical doctor or being some, something else not related to the business. Or I, I could have like other type of interest. And the thing is, it all starts in the childhood. So there are some, some strategies that consultants used for the process of the transition to a new generation. So it all starts in the childhood. In involving the children, me, myself, I have done that, taking them to the company and made them feel how important is the company to achieve our goals. So it, it all starts since then. So that's for obviously made me think since my childhood that i should prepare myself to eventually become a leader into my company so i can tell you that like a 54 percent, like the half of the persons that are within the company and a part of the family think since they are very young that eventually they may have an opportunity within our company so they try to prepare themselves in topics like engineering, accounting, administration, and things like that. Because it's very possible It's something that happens all the time in, in our family, it's very possible that the first job that they're going to get is in our company. So they try to like make the effort to study something that will open uh, the doors to our company. And that eventually will open them the doors to jump to other companies if they want to do that. In in my case, and in the case of our, our my siblings, we already knew that we eventually had to uh, take care of the, of the company. So we were prepared and we study uh, things that are related uh, or are going to be beneficial for the company. For example, I myself studied international business and management. And um, that really helped me to create a, strategy expansion strategy of the company, my brother study uh, engineering w- because we are supply chain in the manufacturing sector. my sister is marketing, so it all it's it, the mix of the talents uh, the skills that we have is at uh, the end really effective so yeah, that's what I can tell you about it
2: It's basically a cultivating a new board or, you know, management from childhood. And I I can't attest to this because the company I'm at is also like family run and speaking to the different managers, especially those being there 40 plus years, the owners now, and there's actually grandchildren of the owners working there in different departments and kind of what Mario is describing. It's like the, the kids are working already within that company, even be it a summer job or you know, just the summer. And are just, you know, running one of the departments on, on their own with a team. So yeah, I, I can, just as Mario was explaining that and me thinking back where I'm placed is, yeah, I'm noticing that exact thing happening right there. So it's quite interesting to hear. But to follow that up real quick on the succession plan, and you briefly mentioned you did international business. And in the beginning, you also mentioned mo- you moving to Canada. So how did that? I guess, decision, because I assume that the company is mainly in Honduras, like all the companies, right? How did that decision of moving yeah. to another country affect that business? And then we can go a bit into oh yeah, got. So there. I think that as we have like uh, in, in, in Honduras,
0: we are within uh, the industry. I mean, our industry. So there's, there's no like more market room for growth. In a company, I mean I'm talking about Honduras, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and Salvador, which are uh, the regional countries. So the 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 industry, our industry there is uh, we, we are leading currently the industry in in, in in that specific I mean in conveyors, conveyor belt structures, things like that. So we are we were thinking that the next step will be to seek more market in North America, Mexico, the U.S., and Canada, because that's like the logical next step for a company that is growing exponentially. So we decided to start a business like an affiliate in the U.S., which is Nova Belltech. And with pretty much success, we were still manufacturing the majority of the goods in Honduras and also in China, but commercial. we had a commercial office in the U.S. And then the next step will be jumping to Canada, putting an office in Canada too. Obviously I I was the one that was like more prepared to deal with the installments of these new companies or these new affiliates, making partnership with the local authority, looking for strategic suppliers, and you know, setting the initial the initial steps of a new venture in North America. That was like my homework. I had to do that with a team of people. So for sure that I was like a little bit overwhelmed with a lot of things to deal a part of my regular job in, in, in Honduras. So that in the beginning was a little bit challenging. I had to hire some people to help me with, man, with management and with taking decisions. My siblings also were taking decisions for me. So I had, I had to build an strategy in order to affect the business the least possible because a traditional family business, you need to be there to oversee all the operations. If you are not there, then it's gonna be a problem. And I had to be away for for a considerable amount of, of time. So for sure that in the very beginning, in the very beginning, it was very challenging. There were some operations affected because uh, I wasn't there uh, in person, but eventually we overcame to, uh, with solutions. And uh, then the pandemic started and everything turned virtual, so then we were like uh, it's understanding we were understanding how to work online since before the pandemic. Because all the settlement the of the new businesses in North America happened just before the pandemic. I mean I'm talking about 2018, 2019, 2020, and since then we have been working and growing the businesses in North America. And in Canada you Cause yeah. you're, you yeah. so okay. yeah. right. after right. the yeah. settlement of our uh, office in the U.S. and started to commercialize our goods in the U.S., I personally found out that there were some programs in Canada that support uh, new business concepts. I realized while I was in the U.S. that we needed to adapt our business model uh, to the North American market. So that traditional business that we had in Honduras was not going to work so well in North America because we needed some more technology feature and components. So we needed to change the business model a little bit. And it was crazily expensive to make that switch in the US. So we were looking for a strategy to reduce the costs involved in changing our business model. We find out that some accelerators and incubators in Canada were helping us startups to establish an office in Canada to get to, 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 have a participation in North America overall and go global. So I was interested to learn more about how to make that happen. And I applied to one of the top world-class accelerators in, in Canada with a new business model, proposing a new new business model for a company adapted to the North American market. And uh, we were selected to go to Canada and uh, make a market validation process with one of the government designated accelerators. They help us uh, making market research to see if our new business concept will be successful or not in North America. And eventually we had the opportunity to Establish the business in Canada with the help of this accelerator. And they kind of support our business idea uh, to be as a high potential business. So this is how we eventually got the invitation to move to Canada permanently to grow this business concept with the support of one of the government designated accelerators. So there is a program in Canada named the Startup visa program that helps entrepreneurs that have some high potential business and with some technology features, mainly companies that has uh, intellectual property and that has technology-related businesses can apply. As of current, I think that the program has been accepted 75 companies since 2015 that the program was launched. Sorry, 2012, that the program was launched. So I was lucky to have the support of a world-class accelerator in Toronto that helped us to make a very well-established business model to succeed in the North American market. And that way we had a lot of help from the government, from mentors, from other other people that are in the technology sector. So we can like uh, we could like take advantage of all this support that we were having to build our strategy and to eventually being invited to establish our business in Canada without the the worries of our immigration status. So that was we were very lucky and also we were very very dedicated to to like we wanted to succeed. We have to do whatever it takes. And we have to work hard in order to achieve that. So that was like a collateral effect of our entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> I can tell you that.
1: Just because it's also taking the opportunity because setting up, because let's, let's, let's start from you getting. because basically if we first set up the business in the U S and then snowball, the snowball effect came from there. So what's the, what. The hardest part about setting up a business in the U.S. Yeah, the thing is,
0: uh, setting in the business in the U.S. compared to Latin, I mean, starting a business, like registering a business itself is so easy in the U.S. that anybody can do it regardless of the citizenship, citizenship uh, status. So no matter if you are a, a tourist in the U.S., you can set your business, you can open a business account, you can do whatever you want. And uh, as a business owner. You can like start your business by your own. The thing is that in Latin America, it is very difficult. I mean, I'm talking like in general terms, in my country, Honduras, and in the nearby countries, if you want to register one company, you have to go in person to one place to make a big line, like three, four hours, a way for someone to take your papers and maybe wait one or two weeks to get a resolution if your company is or not incorporated or is not going to be accepted. So in the U.S. or in Canada, it's a very straightforward process. You apply online, you put all your documents online, you just submit your application, you're going to receive a response within 24 to 48 hours. So you know that there is a huge difference. This simple example that I'm putting you now can you can imagine how we are in Latin America, like years away from from, from the North American way of, of doing businesses. What I mean is that it's much more easier to set a business in, in North America than than in Latin America. And they have they had processes that make okay. it much much more easier. That's one part. Yeah. Okay. This is just very interesting. That's just one part of of starting or registering a company, but the other part of the support that you may receive from local authorities, there is huge difference between the US or Canada or Latin America, because in Latin America, we don't have any type of like support for entrepreneurs like like, like that. I mean, there's some programs across the years, some business grant in Latin America that we may take advantage of, but it's not a normal thing. I mean, it's really special when that happened. And uh, in Canada, that is like what normally happens is that the government is really supportive, they really help entrepreneurs, they really want entrepreneurs from Latin America to come and establish businesses, they invest money in these entrepreneurs, that, that doesn't happen in
2: Latin America. So. So. If I'm understanding you correctly, Canada and I guess the US, correct me if I'm wrong, is very government driven to
0: Yeah, but in the US, you have to pay a considerable amount of money if you want the support of an accelerator that guides you through the process of growing a business. So it is not cheap, it is very expensive, at least that you apply to some kind of fellowship that to be accepted into one of these, because the easiest way to grow a business in North America with the correct guidance is through one accelerator or one incubator. You you don't just go to the U.S. and start doing things by yourself, not knowing where to go or what to do. So you have to go through one accelerator. That's the best way. Okay. You, do your, you can just not go to the U.S. and start doing things randomly because you're gonna waste your time. You're gonna waste a lot of money. So you want one accelerator, one incubator that gets you through all the process. In the US, extremely, extremely, the price is too high. But in Canada, in Canada, they, I mean, initially, all the things they did for my company were free of charge. I Me, mean, I didn't pay anything to these accelerators. They are non-profit in Canada. and In the US, it was so expensive. That's why after uh, considering all the facts i took the chance to go to canada then instead of continue doing you know trying to grow the business in the us per se i moved to canada and started to grow my business from canada to the us so it's like a switch uh, a very like strategically a lot of companies were doing the same thing because in canada they were much more supportive and a lot of things that you don't have to pay for that in the U S you have to pay for as entrepreneur. So yeah, now it's a topic. Now it's very interesting to make this entrepreneurial journey in Canada.
1: Because what I wanted to ask is in the U S for instance, we have from Suriname a lot of companies that started business yeah. uh, see in Delaware, Yeah. specifically in Delaware. And I think I saw that yeah. you were based out of Florida. Can you tell us maybe a little bit of a difference between different states? Not necessarily all of them, but like, what's the biggest difference that you feel is there between different states? If It's all about taxes.
0: It's all about taxes and how you're going to pay those taxes. So if a company is incorporated in Delaware, which is the normal practice, if you are an international company and you're willing, like you're wanting to... Not avoid, but to save some cost, related cost to the taxes that you will incorporate a company in Delaware, because that's the the state that has like almost zero percent of 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 taxes. So you don't pay taxes if you are a Delaware business. You only have to pay one thing that is called the franchise franchise cost. So there's no any related taxes attached to the business. Then after a company incorporates in Delaware, they can request an extra state permit to operate anywhere else in the U.S., but the base of all the operations are still in Delaware. So there are a lot of companies that help like putting uh, entrepreneurs like us to do this kind of thing. And they know how, I mean, they know the power. They know that entrepreneurs don't want to pay at the least taxes as possible. And when the operations of, of the business are considerable. It's a lot of taxes involved, and if you have the possibility to reduce those costs, then you are gonna take the chance. And in terms of of differences, I think that California is the, the state that has the highest tax rate in the US as of current, with Delaware leading the preference between any company from abroad. So yeah, that's a very, great strategy. It's like the normal pathway. If you go to an accelerator or an incubator in, in the U.S., they're going to recommend you for sure uh, incorporate your company in Delaware initially if you want to reduce your initial cost. So yeah, that's a, a really great strategy. If you incorporate in Florida, you are you have to pay a considerable amount of taxes, regardless if you are uh, producing revenue or no, you have to pay a yearly tax even if your company is not producing revenue. So there are some advantages uh, when choosing where to start your
2: business in the US. But you completely moved over to Canada right now. It's, are you still incorporated? Yeah, we only have a distribution office, uh, warehouse in the
0: US. Yeah. yeah, so all works from China we, where we have our manufacturing facilities where we manufacture all, all our brands, all our conveyors, our rubber and everything, and everything is exported from China to our other manufacturing facility in Honduras. We were the first company in our class to be accepted into a free trade zone in Honduras. So are from China to a warehouse and manufacturing facility in Honduras, then everything goes to the U.S. to have a uh, stock in the U.S. for the North American market, but everything is yeah. the invoices or where the customer pays everything is to Honduras branch and to our Canada branch. So everything goes from Honduras or from Canada or, or, or from the U.S., sorry, up to Canada and to the rest of the country. So we have a, 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 an infrastructure already in place for the logistics and everything. Well, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Ah, that's cool. Okay. So to, we- to you want to go first?
1: No you, uh, no, you put, you put the intelligent question out there. I'm going to have some, just uh, casual social conversation.
2: Yeah. After it, j- just one to, to go full circle. So from the start, it started as a, you know, compare belt manufacturing company. This was the core company that exactly. kicked everything up. Right. And this allowed. I guess uh, the family to expand, have capital available to, you know, invest in other companies. How does the, like, I'd success or profitability from the, the companies, the, or the group of companies compared is the conveyor business, uh, still a majority. How, how do the other types of businesses?
0: Yes. Compare? Yes. Uh, uh, definitely the conveyor, uh, conveyor belt and, and parts and, and mechanical parts that we sell. A on on the top. That's like the most profitable business. Still, being the more profitable business because we already have a, a huge network of customers that, and we have agreement with customers. We have contract with customers on a monthly, on a yearly basis that have been working like that since more than twenty five years ago. So it's like we 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 have to comply with these contracts and that's, that's not, it's different, like, for example, from one hotel or a different kind of like real estate that it all depends on the market and and have like up and downs and things like that. In in our case, with the supply chain and and manufacturing of conveyors and all the related parts, we already have like a a stability and we already like know what's going to meet that consumption of of goods for the next year, for example. So we have to prepare and all our stock, all our manufacturing in order to comply with all the controls that we have. So it's like uh, the business that is currently giving us the most of the of the profit and the most of the, of the, of the revenue. And it's like, uh, I think in part of the other company, that's the one that has a better profit, profit rate. Because this, this is a very special or a very specialized industry. So there is no, like a lot of company that can do the same thing. So you
1: need to have. It's hard to break the market. It's really hard to break the market because you've been doing it for so long. So you have an advantage that any new player on the market, they they can compete with that advantage before you're so far ahead. And, and I think that's something that's really underestimated about, about bigger companies, especially because we started with the difference between the new management style and the old management style. And there is still a part that because something is kind of, it's completely stuck, it's kind of rigid, you can't change it anymore. So you see it as a, a, a a negative or maybe not something, but again, it's the same structure that is so rigid that kind of. It, it makes it impossible to, to copy as like a new cover on the a new kid on the blog or a competition. So I think that's very interesting to see as well, that there's a reason why companies are there for 40 plus years and they remain as big because you already have yeah. a certain infrastructure, certain contracts, a certain structure internally as well, where you have a consistency that. Like your competitors who just start out, even if they come from abroad and they're big abroad, they come in, they don't have the same.
0: That's uh, competitiveness advantage. The uh, definitely plays a positive, uh, I mean, the results of uh, being uh, a pioneer and a leading uh, company within that industry has it advantages what you
2: mentioned is one of those advantages. Okay. So. Before jean goes to his fun question, I have more of a personal question on being part of, I guess, you know, a successful business, successful family. You're very humble. The the, the first time I met you, you're a very chill guy, very humble, very fun. And, you know, we we briefly talked about value. So can can you tell us a bit about, you know, growing up, how? you got those values and that your yeah my my you.
0: my parents were born in the countryside and they dedicated almost the half of their life the childhood and everything in the countryside uh, and they have very humble origins so they were not rich people My mom and my father um, and my father—they were people that were normally growing plants and making like this lifestyle. This is where the way they they were surviving. So they have very humble childhood and very humble. They they were young. They were not rich people too. And also my grandfathers tell them these values and the hard working as well. So they think that that definitely played an important, an important role when teaching us about all these values, because it's, uh, when, when I talk about my parents, they're very limited while they were a child, having only the basic necessary things to survive, which it was what the parents also were able to provide them. So that is totally make a change in how you feel and how you see the life. I think I was lucky enough to born in the middle of having everything from my parents. But also, I mean, they also try not to put things really easy to us since we were children. And because, you know, there is a big difference. When you give to children all that they want with no limits and teaching these children that he needs to he needs to do their homework he needs to be a good girl or a good boy he needs to comply with something and that the things really cost so this is not a thing that in nowadays these values are not well taught to the to our children and i had the opportunity to have these parents that in their beginnings they had nothing and they were like growing from the bottom to the to the top so they have much life to teach and they have a lot of good things to give i mean they can give us classes about being humble be chilling build nice because they even i mean even my parents may be wealthy they even have friends that are not wealthy. They have friends that I that, that live in, 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 in common houses that are people that work every day, are people that are, are not wealthy. They relate with these people. They have friends everywhere. And they have no, like, these restrictions that only people that are in their same category we would relate with them now. So we are open to make friends. We are often to be nice. We, we, because this, our nature, this is what my part, this is, I am the reflect of what my parents taught me. This is how they are too. So I think that, that a lot to be a, how you are uh, during your childhood and during your, when you are young, how do your parents really educate you and the values that they already got from their parents too. So, So yeah, that's, that's the reason why you find me very friendly, because this is, this is, this is me. This is what I know that is acceptable. And this is what I, what I know, this is how I have to be with the others. And this is how I have to, because there are other people that, oh my God, they think that they are like, they, 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 they are so like, I mean, private. They don't like to interact with others. I am the top, so
1: please don't talk me. I am not like that. Awesome. That's actually a great way to close it off. We'd still have some overrated, underrated for you. But before we get to that part, because we started with Honduras being from Latin America, Honduras is quite close Ecuador. to the equator as well, right? No, to it, but also to the equator, to the middle of the. Of it's the, a, it's of the... A, no, in Central America,
0: no, it's like a five or six hour flight. So let's, so it's not, it's, that, it's not it's that close. Not that close. It, Lord of Panama? of Panama, yes. Pond? So it's, it's, it's
1: like the south Mexico. So. Yeah. So for us, the weather, because we were just talking about this and I was talking with Diego about the layering, like for us, because we're from, yeah. from okay. a Caribbean country, it's okay. It gets cold. I need a jacket or a winter coat or something like that. So basically it's two layers. Like it's my shirt and i put on a coat or a winter jacket and that's it and then when the temperature changes during the day we are like we're either the coats off and it's too cold or the coat on and it's too warm and people that live in warm in, in cold climate climates they know about layering so there are multiple layers they're like one to four layers and depending on what the weather is like they decide if it's one two or three or four layers so the reason I'm bringing this up is because you' moving oh, yeah. from Honduras to Canada uh, how how did you get used to oh yeah, that weather Honduras, we have this tropical weather uh, I, I,
0: I am I am from from the coast in Honduras, from the northern coast, so it's really hot during the most of the year, like 35 to forty degrees in the media, but in Canada, I mean Canada is the second largest country in the world. And I live in, in, in Ontario, in Kitchener, which is a city very near to Toronto. And the weather there during the eight months of the year is freezing. Okay. So you have from October, it starts to decrease from the autumn. It starts to decrease the temperature. Then in December, you have some snow and uh, then in January, February, March, it's totally white outside. So we have tons of snow in Ontario during the winter. It's crazy because I still trying to adapt myself because outside, uh, during the peak, like in February, it's minus 35 degrees Celsius. So if you go outside with like wearing this, you're gonna get freeze right away. Or when you start to breathe, you're gonna, your lungs are gonna, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. So you have to, it's in during winter, it's a topic that you have to wear boots. You have to wear special, special jackets that are built for minus 40 degrees Celsius, special pants and everything. And if you don't have a car, you're going to suffer a lot. If you're going to use a public transportation, you're going to suffer a lot. I mean, you need to protect with special gloves and everything. So it's crazy. But for example, in British Columbia, which is another province in Canada, and uh, the weather during the winter, it's much better than in Ontario because uh, there is almost no snow in British Columbia. In Vancouver, for example, which is a city north from, we are, from where we are now, north from here, which is in the Pacific, they almost don't have any snow. So we have in Canada these two 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 types of weather that when it's winter, you have minus 35, minus 40 degrees in outside of Canada, but in the same, the same time in British Columbia, which in the other side, you don't have snow. So it's really crazy because as I told you, Canada is so huge. My, my daughters that are now almost what, two years living in Canada, they are more like uh, getting these changes. They are more like uh, getting all with this weather and everything. So there, because they are kids, but for us uh, as adults arriving in Canada, new weather,
1: new everything. It's a little more difficult. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Diego, I guess we have a little bit of time to do maybe two, two over under Yeah, that's that's the one each. Okay. Yeah, each? Oh, cool. yeah, yeah. Okay. So Mario, I'm not sure if you're aware with our over-under segment, but basically we bring up a topic and you decide whether or not you find it overrated or underrated. And so Diego is going to go first, I guess. Right. Okay, now I'm going to go first. I was, I was just fully up. So Mario, a SWOT and a SWOT analysis, is it overrated or underrated? What analysis. business? So SWOT, SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, uh, opportunity, threats. Is it overrated or underrated? I think it's,
0: it's underrated. I think it's underrated at some point because you know, this, I mean, it's, it it all depends on, on the perspective, I think. For me, it's really important. For me, it's, I mean, it's essential having a well-analyzed what. But I, I think that maybe people or the professionals don't tend to take this uh, magnificent tool really serious. So perhaps it's, I think that uh, a current is not like un- very well used or used smart, uh, smart or intelligently used now. Uh, despite this, give you a lot of very good answers in order to make decisions in your business. But I think it's overrated.
1: So do you think it's, it's, it's not exactly. used as no, enough because people don't quite know how to implement it? Or do you think it's more of a being rugged yes. thing? I don't have that. To that's
0: because it. we have the new generations now. Exactly. That <laughs> want to uh, act fast <laughs> and maybe find other ways. So that's like a little bit of, uh, it all depends on new generation, I think, but that's the main reason of why I think we don't tend to use those tools anymore. So we are like trying to use new inno- innovative ways to,
2: to get to the same place. Okay. For me, okay, I found one. Let's see. Buying a house over it
0: is now. I can tell you because of the same thing now that renting a house, if you make the conversion, uh, I mean, the fin- uh, financing a house is really costly over the years. So that's one of the reasons why now young people are preferring to rent a house and have the freedom of moving anywhere when they want to do it and leaving all their belongings behind, instead of buying a house that they have to be attached to a debt and they have to pay over 20, 30 years a debt. So it's about freedom. I think now it's about financial freedom. This is a trend. But of course, there is a good portion of the population that is still buying house. I mean, for owning a house, to have that feeling that they own something. And I believe that is pretty much only for that to have the feeling that they own something because they could live anywhere. To be honest,
2: so are you? Rent- no, I am. Yeah. Rent-
0: I'm just. <laughs> no, I I I, I own <laughs>
2: my <laughs> place. I own <also> my <laughs> place in Canada, but that's okay, a okay. <laughs> so
0: like a normal <laughs> trend as a parent, yeah. Because all my yeah, friends, yeah. Every, every every all my is, friends, every other <laughs> entrepreneurs they rent their home.
2: Yeah, got it. <laughs> No, awesome. Mario, thank you for joining us. Yeah. And uh, appreciate you sharing. This was a very, very insightful conversation, especially on the aspects of family business. And I think also, you know, the opportunities that, you know, there are in the United States and Canada and the challenges is there. I think you laid that out very well for us. Yeah, Much appreciated.
0: We can it. talk uh, more about uh, uh, specific programs, specific pathways in, in other, in other uh, podcasts
2: and, yeah, you know. You have my contact you can just let me know. Yeah, there, there's, there's so much we haven't touched on yet. Some more fun stuff, but uh, I think we'll leave it here for this episode. Uh, look, any final thank thoughts so and then you get us. close us off.
1: Yeah, I want to thank you as well, Mario. It has been a great so- social conversation. For me, very exciting to hear about family business, but also like mm-hmm. you said, expanding to other countries. I hope we can learn a lot more. The last thing before we close it off, how can people get? Oh yeah, well, they
0: they can add on my social network. I have a Facebook uh, at Marvio Escoto Jr. I will put you in, in the chat. Perhaps you can. Yes, ah, Junior. <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> my my parent is and, uh... like Marvis that sir. Sorry, Marvis Escoto Junior. So they can contact me there or through my my nonprofit in Canada, which is Triple W. L-C-C-E-I dot C-A. So they can come to me.
1: Okay. We're going to, we're going to yeah, put the exactly. first, for, the so, first yeah. uh, Dario Escoto Jr. And, uh, and you can also share your uh, startup or the nonprofit, sorry, in, in Canada as well in the chat and we'll shortly bring it on screen as well. So Mario, thanks again for uh, being our guest. For those of you who are watching uh, or listening, the recording will be uploaded this weekend. No, no. All right? No, no, no. The the uploadings are kind of In the the near future. And of course, as always, before we close it off, the website, lccei.com. So give it a visit if you are interested. For those who are listening to the audio recording, lccei.com. That was it for this week's Social Confos. We'll see you back next week, same place, same time. Bye-bye.